Welcome right to Comedy on Edge podcast. I'm your host, Mark Williamson. For more information about Comedy on Edge, check out comedyonedge.com. We're also on Facebook. We have a like page, which is Comedy on Edge. And we have a Facebook group, which is Comedy on the Edge. We like to keep it tricky. We're also on Twitter, at Comedy on Edge. So for all your information, check out there. And also, thank you for listening to the show. If you're listening on iTunes, give us a rating. That'd be nice. If you're not listening on iTunes, that's okay. We're cool with that. Maybe share a link on Facebook or Twitter. The more love you give to the show pretty much keeps us doing it. So guys, thank you for listening. This week, my guest is Mr. John Robertson, star of The Dark Room. This week, me and John recorded this pretty late at night. It's just the two of us. We're having a chat. We're a bit reflective. So it's a little slow pace, but stick with us. We, t- we tell some good stories. And if there are, there's, believe it or not, there's a book review in at the end. Which book? You'll have to tune in. Clue, it's a wrestler's biography. Spoiler alert. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Tune in to the show. Enjoy. And I guess, well... I better hit the music. Thank you. Welcome right to our Comedy on Edge podcast. I'm your host, Mark Williamson. It's a special night. We it's NRL Grand Final night. In Sydney, and I'm joined by a man who's only in the country for a limited time. He's a former star of the show. He's been here before. <laughs> you may know him from the dark room or amazing shows. Mr. John Robinson, how hey, are you, buddy? My darling, I'm I'm beautiful. I'm, I feel I feel just tremendous. Oh, that's good. I like I like I like your um, I like your sales pitch beginning. I think that's that's I, I want to buy me. I want to buy secondhand me at a discount rate. You know? oh, I'm, I'm glad you did. Well, it's sort of it's it is it's late Sunday night. And it's no, it's been, great. I mean, you've, you, had a, you've had a great day. You today. just woke me. Yeah, I've I've had a big day. It I've is... had a big day. I've had I've had a sort of childish big day. Uh yes, because while the uh, NRL grand final is on, occupying the Thoughts of the uh, the normal working man and mm. uh, the sort of champagne swilling cocaine adult socialists up in the boxes, <laughs> uh, and then of course the One Direction concert monopolising yeah. the attention of all the prepubescent girls in the uh, New South Wales region. I was at the EB Games Expo, uh, which was just colossal, uh, inc- incredible. About I, I would say about forty thousand people in over three days. Uh, amazing, amazing time, and uh, I'm. I'm sort of, uh, you know, video game hyped. Yeah, it is. Time. It's it's just been like, yeah. It's for those who don't know Sydney, well, Homebush is where the Olympics were held, and it's this great region. Like the NRL Grand Finals held out there, there was eighty thousand people. Mm. The EB Games thing, there was forty thousand. In the middle of that, the Superdome or whatever it's called these days, One Direction had a concert there with twenty thousand people. That's so right. That's right. All these little cultures together. Was there was there much mingling? Did, the, there no, any? there was no mingling no. whatsoever. Uh, the the one piece of mingling that occurred that I was told about was the um, and he he was a big boy too, about a five foot eleven, uh, built like a brick shit house young man who uh, taken it upon himself to do what we call crossplay, which is cosplay costume play, but as a different gender. And uh, he was being a female character who walks around with an enormous red scythe. And he, so the, I just want you to imagine a very pretty but incredibly terrifying thick-necked transvestite, all in crimson, holding an enormous weapon, walking straight through the people on the way to the NRL Grand Final. And uh, yeah, well, as he said to me, he's like, "Oh, I'm fairly certain somebody said Pukta, but uh, I think they whispered it." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and and good too because my he'd take out a few of you. 
It would have been. Well, it's funny you say that. Last time I went out there for, I went to Supernova event. I think you know very well. Oh yes, I used to work there. Yeah, I was. It was going out to watch you host the cosplay, but. The same time they had Supernova, around the corner, they had like the National Gun Festival. Yep. And so there are all these country guys walking around with guns, mm-hmm. sort of sneering at all the people in the costumes. And it was like, that's 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 a bad mix. Like NRL fans and gamers, you know, if it's a punch-up happens, a punch-up happens. But guns and... Yeah the, gu- yeah, the guns and the gamers wasn't going to quite go, you know, mm. but to plan. But then our guys in costumes probably just thought that they were in costumes and that they were that farmers true. from The Walking Dead getting ready to defend <laughs> their land from the zombies. <laughs> the sad thing is the, guy, the video game is probably a better shot than the farmer too. Yeah, there's every chance. I mean, kids, the kids would be able to get off more shots. They'd be fucked for the recoil of the gun, but that'd be fine. I, I once saw, yeah, when Supernova went to Perth, they shared the showgrounds with the um, the Western Australian Leather Show, and that was great because it, it, was, it wasn't bondage. And there's a huge crossover, yeah, occasionally yeah, between the geek and the bondage worlds. As in, I mean, let, let's see what was on in Sydney this weekend, all right? Because and I I know this because I stopped off at Gallery Serpentine, Tap Tap, Cash for Comment, Alan Jones, the other no, one. No, 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 that's okay. Bryce we we support we support the business. Oh, I love Gallery Serpentine. It's they, in King Street, Newtown, ladies and gentlemen. They make all my corsets, them. and I've got a few. Um, what I discovered, so I go down to Gallery Serpentine, and I learned that uh, first the fleets in town, yeah, fleet the review. the great the great Death Ship fleet, the Dread Pirate <laughs> Roberts, and his uh, various the great the great Spanish Armada has finally arrived in Sydney Harbour. You know, and an, an event only paralleled by the arrival of two Japanese midget submarines during the Second World War. They didn't we, get the fanfare that these guys got. No, they deserved it, though, didn't they? I mean, they, they tried to start a fireworks show, but I don't think it, no, it fizzled out. People just weren't into it. People no. just weren't into it. But they sank a ferry, and there's something to, you know, there's something to be respected about that. That is true. I mean, and this, the Fleet Review, you know, they had the descendant of the German royal family, Prince Harry. He was in town. Yes, Prince Harry was in town. Uh, the, the son of Diana, who turned out no one realised was going to be pretty. He's pretty, and he's turned up, and he's handsome and virile and single, and uh, yeah, a little too much television time was given to uh, his existence. Yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit. Uh, this fleet review it took me, but I suppose I, I knew that they were going to have some boats in the harbour. I didn't realise how big it was. Like a million people came to watch boats, mm. and this is after we had you know spent the last three years trying to stop the boats. I know this is <laughs> we're getting into hacky territory, but now now we're parading the boats. I mean, gracious, gracious, that's like. Here are the victors. But, they sunk an Indonesian people smuggler. But but why? Why do they call them oval teens? <laughs> <laughs> They're round. The, the, the mug is round. round. They should call them round teens. Puke. That's a funny word. It's gold, Jerry. <laughs> it's gold, Jerry. It's gold. Uh, well, no, you, you, raise, you raise a valid point. I mean, I, I certainly heard about it. And, you know, people are saying this is the one-time event of the century to look, to look at the fleet. And I just thought to myself, good God. I'm I'm bored reading the sign to go look at the boats. It sounds like the sort of thing that your mother, knowing that it was uh, school holidays and not wishing to spend any money to entertain her snotty-ass son. Yeah. A lot of children have the, the snotty-ass now. It's, yeah. it's a real thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's medical. Yeah. You know, the, the old pick and shove. That's what they're doing. You know? It's a side effect of the Ritalin. They're Absolutely. all on Ritalin. All, all on Ritalin, and they mm. concentrate beautifully. So what happens is they remove something from one orifice and must place it's it in another in a methodical fashion. <laughs> they just get very focused on it until eventually they're a little bit taller. Any case, it just sounded boring. And then you learn Prince Harry's in town, you know, with the fleet. You know, oh, goodness, 
Goodness gracious me. Okay, I'm not excited. One Direction have turned up to uh, remove the uh, the sort of non-monarchist preteen girls. Yeah. EB Games Expo has come to claim all good, right-thinking people. The Graphic Expo oh, yes, turned yes. up to claim uh, all the good, right-thinking people who can't hack eye-hand coordination and want to <laughs> sit down going, oh, oh I, I drew this picture of myself masturbating, and I was also weeping, and I did it in a really heavy <laughs> pen. Do you think we can send it to Robert Crumb? Um, so those guys were there. Then you had the oh, One Direction, then the NRL Grand Final, yeah. and I'm in Gallery Serpentine. I bend down to pick up a flyer, and it was the goddamn Australian Rope Convention. So it was the Australian Bondage Convention. It was on at the same time as the EB Games Expo, and I was just like, oh, I would, I would kind of love to go there. That Where was, was that held? I don't know. <laughs> Wherever it wanted to be. Yeah. Wherever the screams were most diluted, man. Can you dilute a scream? I don't know. Yeah. You ever had a homeopathic scream? It, it's just wonderful. You just let out one-tenth of your anger. It's, sort of, it's that, that reaction when you stub your toe, that sort of silent scream. You know, like, yeah, 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 oh. yeah. The beautiful... Yeah, and then, yeah you know, I believe there's a painting of this. <laughs> yeah. there, there's a beautiful painting. It's called Stub Toe, isn't stub it? Stub Toe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Classic. Oh, stub Toe. Uh, but that, that's obviously just referring to the shape of the creature's head. Oh, Stub Toe. <laughs> stub Toe. I think you should get a job for tourist New South Wales. Tourism New South Wales. You've done a great job spruiking the. the I, I think I think I'd be superb. I can certainly remember that some things are happening, and uh, I can repeat them in a nice, deep, faintly melodic voice <laughs> with, a, with a t- just a touch of cynicism. Yeah, not a bad a thing touch. to do. Well, of course, that's good because we talk, we talk. We talk all these things up, but yes. I mean, you don't want to get people too hyped. Like, imagine if people travelled in, you know, you're in Orange, you think, oh, I'll go see this fleet review. Mm. You've travelled three, four hours by car or maybe train, which yeah. would have been about a week. You get into town and you just you get your little camping spot and then you're like, oh, there's a boat. Yeah. There's another one. Four hours later, oh, some fireworks off the bridge. It's, it's all the hype. Well, I, think, I think it's tremendously important that um, Sydney be cynical. If at all possible, constantly, <laughs> and and I, that's great. I mean, my my grandmother used to live in Neutral Bay, and she had this great house, which had a view of the harbour. And we'd go there for New Year's Eve. Um, back in the days before New Year's Eve seemed to be an opportunity to um ingest as many things as possible, and then uh, try and insert as much of myself into as many people as possible. Mm. Um, and what would happen is the fireworks would go off, and every time they would go off, she'd go, "Oh, that's another hospital bed." Yeah. Oh, that's another hospital bed. And it just went on. And it sucked the joy out of it. But I, I, when I was older, I just realised it's hysterical. Mm. And she's right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, oh, I think it's five million they spend on those. But then oh. again, but then you, you could oh, weigh it's it a up. Bargain. It's I always a bargain. thought that too. Like, you know, like, oh, it's another hospital. But then again, it's like, well, it gets on the world news and it probably brings in the tourism dollar. So, mm, I mean, yes, yes, because the tourism dollar it directly buys the hospital beds. Well, yeah, it, well, it gets there. Indirect, you know, like, you know, if you go to Circular Quay, They've got $12 fish and chips to sell. You know, you go to any other part of Sydney, you'll get that same fish and chips for $8. That is, but that uh, extra $4 that is a complete lie because I was just in Homebush. And I can tell you right no, no, now. No, no, yeah, yeah, but it's demand. One Direction bumped up the price of your fish and chips. You go there tomorrow. Oh, no, tomorrow's public. You go there Tuesday, you'll get that fish and chips for no, three. No one's going there Tuesday. No. There are no fish and chips. The thing that amazes me about that entire Olympic Stadium is that once you get away from these enormous round containers, these big metal tins that are full of people looking at something, the fact that it is a completely desolate space world 
is magnificent. It looks like an abandoned, dull 70s theme park. How there's anyone there. Like, I see cars going by there. No drivers. Mm. Just off in no particular direction. Incredible. It looks like Woody Allen's sleeper out there. It's magical. And if you go far enough, and this is what convinced me of it, I turned around and I saw this sort of endless, almost cobweb of um, white, you know, struts jutting out into the air and the enormous round buildings. And I, I looked at that, you know, and they're just on concrete with a, a sort of, oh, God, a fountain that's not really working and, and all this. And I realised that I was looking at this from atop a perfectly and completely artificially formed pyramid of grass. And it just looked like every single beginning of an Australian children's television series set in the future. I could see me and my band of plucky young rebels trying to escape Brian Brown and his sort of post-apocalyptic thugs. Magical. Also, there's a Woolworths 20 minutes uh, from the middle of Homebush if you walk in a diagonal direction straight over the top of that hill. Where's in Strathfield or in? Uh, I have no idea. Because you know that the, they're starting. Like obviously the they've got way. the events that have got there, but they've also got um, Commonwealth Bank. I think has their a big office block there. Mm. So on the week, people go out. Like it's yeah, like, yeah, it's desolate waste ground. But yeah, with workers go there and they can have their overpriced lunch. Oh yeah, that said, the Novotel Hotel there is just just excellent. They among the nicest nicest hotels I've ever been to. It's a big shout out. There you go, Novotel. Well, there you go. You, well, the you no, the well, just wonderful. I mean, they, you turn up at 5 a.m. and they'll just give you a room. They just, put, just put you in the room. And magical. Really did, great. Did you get a One Direction level? or the? Uh, no, no, thank God. I uh, I was on level 10, which um, I was on level 10 over by the service elevator. So I was on the, uh, we better keep him away from the other people level. I, d- I didn't see or hear anyone on my floor the entire time I was there, well, that's which was magical, you know, absolutely superb. And then this morning when I uh, I got in the lift and it took forever to reach me and I was going, oh, what is it? And then the, the doors parted and there were six 13-year-old girls, each of them holding a pillow that was bigger than they were with one really tired-looking father. Oh, isn't that nice? He's taking the... He's taking them to the NRL Grand Final. I just thought that was great. <laughs> that was great, yeah. And I said to him, "Sir, are you aware that the Australian Bondage Convention is on?" <laughs> he went, "These people are the panelists." It was, <laughs> it was a, um, a terrible moment. It was really bad that um, they do, the creative director of the Bondage Festival was Rolf Harris this year. Really. Yeah, really great. I don't know, it was an interesting choice, you know. Yeah, but I think yeah, yeah. You know, obviously the the various songs, the various all there. All yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It's greatest hits, and yeah, yeah but it's, and you know, once you got a poster printed, you can't really cancel it. When well, you no, you can't. I mean. This this is Australia. Once the poster's printed, you can't possibly change any aspect of the event. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, you must tell the performer mm. that they have to do it. You've had the poster printed. Yep, you know, we, we'll get around the bail conditions he's on in the UK. We'll get him out here. We'll yep, look, don't we'll worry about it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You know, uh, Unless, of course, you're Julian Assange, in which case, no. Oh, no, well, no, clearly, no, he touches little girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah can't, no. can't have any of that. No, ta- you, it's none of that. Hacking computers. He could be hacking. You never know what he's any time, any time. I've got a I've got a fungal infection in one of my toenails, and he knows that. Mm. Julian Assange knows that. Mm. He told me. Mm. He told me. He he's the other fungus. I hear that. He's deep undercover. Yeah, he's he's and he's, he's not just that deep undercover. It's a bit alarming. Actually. I like. I, I always worry like because he, he's pretty. You see, the Ecuadorian embassy. You can walk past, and he's only like half a floor up. Hmm. I mean, is it gonna, do you reckon he'll get to the stage when they're just gonna? 
there's going to be a sniper take him out. Is he still in the Ecuadorian? He's still embassy? there. So I've been in England, and the coverage of him is mostly the following. Benedict Cumberbatch is Julian Assange in this movie. I had no idea. That movie hasn't even... Because uh, he sort of... Oh, that's right. We should mention, um, you have relocated to the I UK. I have relocated. So um, I'm now used to buildings that uh, come from time immemorial and films that come from the ghost of Christmas future. <laughs> but yeah, I had no idea he was still in the Ecuadorian yeah. embassy. Well, and, and as to whether or not a sniper will eventually take him out, I say unto you, did a sniper take out Christopher Scase? Because that was always the talk, wasn't it? See, my my view on Scase is, and I and I I've, I've, I was a bit too young to petition it. I haven't seen a body. Mm. I think he faked it. I I think Scase is still living. I think Os- Osama bin Scase. Yeah, yeah. Ah. It's, it's, you know, he's he's somewhere in Pakistan. Christopher's there. He's doing the deals. Well, yeah, now the global it. financial crisis that had elements of Scase's that work in bit, there. A bit of there were fingerprints there. Feeling to it. Yes, yes. Do do we have to contextualise the idea of Christopher Scase to uh, to? That's true. The new your, yeah. your your myriad of international listeners. I know. I think well, Christopher Scase. I think you need to go to Wikipedia. He was. He was a businessman in the eighties. He was Perth based too. Well, wasn't look, he? Christopher Scase was one of the great Western Australian um, billionaires mm. to come out to come out in the eighties. There 80s. are a few of them. They're, yeah, there were about fifteen, and they all went to jail. Mm. They all went to jail for insider trading uh, or anything. I, I forget what it was he did particularly. I, I think it was. Um, and correct me. I think it was trading while insolvent. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, that was it. it was he, maybe, but I'm not a hundred. He traded while that. insolvent, and he uh, he took everyone's money, all of the yeah. investors' money, and he fled to Spain, which has mm. no extradition treaty with Australia, mm. and still doesn't. Yeah, and Mallorca. Yeah, and he had a wonderful time. And as the years went by, and I I don't know why um, he would do this in an effort to sort of save face. The the Australian government would kind of send him these invitations, you know, that were along the lines of, could you please come back here and testify in court? And then he would say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly ill. My, my, you know, I'm having a gastric bypass. And it just seems so strange because why would you answer? Yeah. There's no, you're he not. He did a lot of press conferences for a guy that was overseas. Like he was on the news quite regularly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he sort of just wanted to maintain the idea that he was quite decent. Mm. Which which baffles me in, in every way. I mean, <laughs> there was I remember there was a story in the West Australian, uh, which, which is Western Australia's newspaper, because mm. we are a deeply yeah. literal people. And the Sunday Times, of course, is on Sundays. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, and it was a story of a one of the sort of lesser billionaires. And what happened was he was very very rich, and uh, they ran a picture of him from the eighties, <laughs> draped. Across his Rolls Royce, holding a champagne bottle, you know, appalling. Mm. And then he went bankrupt and he owns a, I believe it's a car wash now or a laundromat. Oh, he's still, so he's still working? Yeah, him and the family, they, they have a laundromat. See, Bondi, he's one of, he's, he's your five, he won us the Australia, the world, oh, the America's Cup. Oh, so. bless him, what a, what a champion. Back, and, back again to boats, he, that endless Australian yeah, theme. This, it's all, it all comes down boats. to boats. And in, in fact, in fact, as as we speak now in our our deep and enthusiastic tones, Reg Mombasa wakes up and he begins to draw a boat, motivated by forces he does not know which. And I mean, that's another five million in the can that we've we've yeah. just given Reg Mombasa. Yeah, is, he'll have, yeah, he'll have the commemorative fleet review 
T-shirt with the little asylum seeker in the on the war bike. That that that'll sell him a fortune. Yeah, he, he'll write he'll write a commemorative fart review. And I reckon also, and this is something I discovered the other week. I reckon there's another famous Australian artist painting the harbour as we speak with his crayons, Ken Doan. Oh yes, of course. He's got his gallery still open in um down at Circular. It, is, is it now? Really? It's still that you can buy Isn't a Ken he dead? No, no pro pro hearts. Pro heart, yeah, pro hearts long long. Oh, Mr. Heart. Mr. Heart, what they mess? Yes, ah, oh, back in the day, goodness. Oh. I lo- I love that. I love that the Americans had Jackson Pollock. You know, here's a man writhing in misery, flinging paint, and we had someone who was just like, "Well, I have these bits of cake, you see." And I think that I can probably get a mosquito on this carpet. Mm. It's wonderful, really. Australia's sense of commercial art—it's—it's it's not quite Dali, is it? It's well, so, yeah. We had like in the eighties, Prohart. Prohart sold out, and he did his carpet carpet ads. He got mm. lo- quite a good. Yeah, I, I don't remember Prohart in his cutting edge non-commercial I, period. I, I, yeah, I, like we, we only know him from the carpet ads. And mm. then you had Ken Doan. I think it, it was by law in the eighties. If you lived in a house, you had to have a Ken Doan, either tea towel or. Sheet set. Yeah, like well, everything had to be fluorescent and covered with koalas that seemed very happy. And poorly drawn um, bridges and boats. Like. Absolutely. Uh, childish. Yeah. Childish. Wonderfully childish. In fact, as we say, childish in boats. Michael Lunig uh, crawls, I believe, out of an, af- an aphid. Like, literally, <laughs> of an aphid. You know, positioned when it was about to be consumed by a ladybug's huge yet beautifully spotted moor. And he, uh, he writes something that probably rhymes slightly and uh, seems faintly depressing. I think once a poem I wrote, yes, I saw a rocking boat. It rocked fore and it rocked aft. I sat back and how I laughed. Mm. Something like that. You know, I was just thinking with, Lo- with Lunig, um, Kendone, and yeah, Australia really lacks art critics, don't we? We don't have anyone that sort of just points out, maybe this isn't the greatest work I we've ever produced. Th- I don't think we lack for art critics. There seems to be a, a great many of them. I think that they are perhaps a little more ineffectual than they could be. I mean, I, certainly I only ever, only ever really think of art critics if I go to two places, if I go to Sydney or Melbourne. But, but even then, the only reason is that usually I'm doing a show and there's a chance that a critic's going to write about it in the paper and then... I have a look, and if it ha- and if I get once the review's done, I don't really think about criticism again. I don't think about the language. Of, I haven't really thought about the great, you know, the sort of national language of criticism since I was at university. I still associate it with um, with Clive James. You know, the the idea of me, of saying, oh, "Oh, let me tell you why I enjoyed that," whilst referencing a classical author who's quite my favourite. Also, a Japanese schoolgirl has a pert bum. Oh, that Clive. sort of feel. Oh, Clive. He's, a, he's another. It must be. It's the thing at the moment. Like, Clive's. Uh, he's over in the UK now. And sadly, he's not coming back. He's. Well, he's, he's an expat. He's an yeah, yeah, absolute but, expat. He's yeah. one of those great, you know, that, that great Australian. This, this was something I fancied that I was doing, which was that, that lovely idea of, you know, and now the Australian quasi-intellectual <laughs> embarks upon a new life in England. Oh, there to join Greer and Humphreys and Clive James, to name, well, two men, really, who managed to create a career by talking about Australia and nothing else (laughs) at any stage. I love Barry Humphreys in absolutely every regard, but it's such a wonderful, you know, and and where were you yesterday, Barry? Oh, well, uh, I'm living in London, but, uh, you know, um, the Melbourne of my childhood (laughs) never stops. 
he's still I, I, I've, I've got his book over on in HQ funnily enough yeah and yeah it just the guy never got over the fact his mother threw out his books when he was a child no he, he never got over the yeah. fact is that, that his mother threw out his books when he was a child he never got over the fact that his mother didn't like what he did yeah. mind you that's a lot harder to get over well that is that is that is tough but I mean then from the mother's point of view He's kind of dressing up. Like, I've seen pictures of He's dressing of as her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah he's, bit, he's doing her voice. Like, I'm sure, like, like your mum's probably seen your shows. My mum's mm. been to my shows. And she, yeah. she appreciates the form. Sometimes some of my jokes don't agree with her. But mm. there's that respect. then again, I'm not walking on stage talking about her. Yeah, my mother doesn't like the voice I do for her. She, mm. uh, she thinks it sounds like her mother. She sounds like her mother. It is an ah. absolutely accurate version of my mother when she's angry because she's all her lower jaw goes and she talks just through her teeth ah. and so you get over here I'll and then she loses control of the English language so she says things like shut your head which is magical I do overuse magical Jesus Christ no, who am I Why it's not? late it's in our grand final night yeah. with you know sport 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 to borrow one of your favourite sayings <laughs> well, speaking of sport, you've, while you've been in town, you've and yeah. we might we might get into a bit of reviewing here because I gave I lent you a book. Yes. it's it's one of the great literature tomes. I'm sh- I think it's going to be added to the HSC next year. Oh, it's, very yeah, it, it's very high up on the curriculum. The uh, imagery and the scene, the, the the yeah yeah, I, I believe only the um the under 11s water polo course is, is that still going at oh, yeah. Monash? Are they still teaching that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Well, this this will be added to the curriculum. Of course, it will. Book book I'm talking is the Hardcore Truth. Um, it's a biography written by about wrestler Bob Hardcore Holly with um, ghostwriter Ross Williams, who I think he put in a few. Well, it's, Most it's, of the words are his. It's very lovely of a ghostwriter to get the uh, credit that he deserves. Um, m- might I, just before we get on to the, uh, the great seminal tome yeah, yeah, yeah. that is, that is the, uh, the Hardcore Truth, I, just, just thinking of jutting your, uh, your lips forward, um, in the last 12 months, I... I decided that I would have um, probably ooh, as much of a dalliance in the world of illicit substances as I was ever going to have. I, I waited till I was 28, and I didn't have a lot on for a few months, and so I just thought that I would see. And um, I was at a rave in London, and it was uh, a wonderfully dorky rave. Like we, we were, you know, people are dancing to a, a South London ska band. You know. Wonderful time. There's a TARDIS. You walk through a TARDIS to get inside and, and all this. And um, I was given some mollies, you know, some MDMA. Mm. And I, I felt like a teenager without the subsequent um, mm. suicidal feelings of being mm. a teenager, except for two days later when uh, that happened, which was appalling. And, uh, you know, I was, I was dancing around. And what it meant was that I and a friend of mine were like, oh, I love you. Oh, you're the best. Oh, you know, I'm having such a great time. Oh, and what I discovered is that every si- I can have no illicit drugs because they all just make me incredibly angry. You know, th- this, uh, this quite measured tone of voice that I'm using right now, which anyone who knows me is like, he doesn't actually talk like that ever. It's just you've clearly given him a microphone and, he's, and he doesn't have a crowd directly in front of him. So he's trying to sell you sherry. That is true. You're very, very, very low energy tonight. Yeah, doesn't this voice just make you want to buy a lot of real estate? You well, know? well, we'll get to that at the end. We'll get, we'll hustle the listeners. At That's the right. End. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's late. We're we're laying back. You know, the <laughs> the two boys are, are in their shorts. There's a lot of yeah. naked shin work going. That is on. true. It's shorts weather. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so uh, you know, I'd had this, had this ecstasy or whatever, whatever it was, mm. 
And yeah, and um, what happened was we were all just standing around and this German woman kept knocking my friend's hat off. And I, I very calmly stood up and said, hey, don't do that. You know, the, the, I'm the great Australian overseas voice. <laughs> hey, stop that. And, um, and she went, are you, as, uh, are you as boring as you look? And then I screamed, apparently, I'm prettier than you. And then I jumped her. <laughs> Like, I just fully jumped across the room and had to be restrained. And I I have no memory at any stage of being angry. Wow. By the time I hit the ground, because my friends had literally pulled me, you know, Daffy mm. Duck style, by the back, <laughs> you know, out of the air on the ground. And, I like, literally, and we're talking, I mean, these are really small women who are my friends. Four mm. of them have just pulled me down and are lying on top of me. And I'm, I'm still, I've just gone, what's happening? And they go, John, <laughs> John, you don't know, but your lower jaw went and your eyes bugged out. And then you sort of tried to jump on this woman. And I was like, oh, and I was still smiling because I, I must have just thought I was having the best time. But my, my brain was still going, we've been insulted in some way. Oh, but I have no spontaneous wit to recourse to. Only one thing to do, jump. So a horrible idea to realize suddenly that the great drug that makes everyone else love each other makes me violent and happy about it. Yeah. That was a hell of a day. That's that's an interesting one. I hear that German lady describes you as the greatest lover she never had. The greatest lover that's, she never had. You she's know. like, yeah, she still reminisces about it. She's got a blog about it. I think... I think. Oh, is that, is that what that's about? Because yeah. I am constantly reading, mm. you know, Das Schutten Brauten, that got no way on. Mm. I believe that's uh, that's uh, probably probably called German somewhere. You well, know? we actually, we have a, for some reason, we have a... Hello to all our German listeners. That there are actually there. I've looked at the analytics. Oh, that's fantastic! So it's uh, well. In that case, uh, might I just direct your uh, your German listeners, uh, gang, seek out uh, one of your ilk. Seek out the absolutely tremendous Paco Erhardt. Oh, he's a good man. Oh, he's he the is a Paco good man. Erhardt. Wonderful. He um, yeah, he's great. We danced a lot in Edinburgh. We just had a great time this year. I love I love Paco. I went drinking with him in Sydney Comedy Festival. You know, I'm not a big drinker, but I had a big night out, and I had a fun night out with Paco. Oh, Paco's the best. We we pretty much at the bar at the Enmore Theatre. It was a good night. Oh. It was a good night, Paco. So, now, so we know, now we've put it off. I know that... All right, the, okay. The, the time has come to discuss the hardcore so we, we probably should set up... I know there are, and believe it or not, there are people who listen to this podcast who aren't massive wrestling fans. Good Lord. Good I, 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 I didn't think out, they like, existed. Like any two bourgeois white boys, of course we put off talking about the hardcore truth because what great hardcore truths can we face up to other than that Johnny Robertson cannot again attempt to party like a raver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodness gracious. The days are over. And I think, yes, yeah, those days. Mm. But the, the hardcore truth with Bob Holly, we should probably set up All right, okay. Bob let, Holly let's is. Set, okay, let's set this up. So um, let, let us say, way back through the myths of time, there was a little art form entitled professional wrestling. Professional wrestling came to global prominence during the rise of Hulk Hogan. Went the 1980s. For the entire decade, wrestling was in a boom period. People bought all sorts of action figures, video games that weren't video or games. Tremendous times for the enormous steroid, water muscle infused, human growth hormone taking, testicle shrinking boys and girls in the lycra underpants at the World Wrestling Federation. Mm. Then the early 90s came. Yeah. Then the mid-90s. 
And at around about, is it 1994, into the uh, most prominent, still at the time, the most prominent mm -hmm. wrestling organisation in the world, in steps one Bob Howard. Take it up there, mate. From there, Bob Howard. He debuted as Bob Sparky Plug Holly. No, no, no. Thurman. Thurman, sorry. Spark Plug Thurman Moore. Thurman, that's right. Whatever and his gimmick was. was he was a real life, he raced cars in real life. He, he so naturally cars? they thought, well, a guy who races cars, he can fight. So Bob Holly became and he debuted and he went on to not much. Not much at all. I mean, but this, this was at the time when there was Bob, okay, sorry. Thurman Sparky Plug. Thurman, yeah. Yeah, that was it. Thurman Sparky Plug. What a terrific name. Don't don't you think that that person's going to fight a lot of people and win? And Thurman don't you think the, all the Thurmans of the world are just going to go, ah, finally. Finally, someone's hit it. Yay. It sounds like there must have been, I reckon there be would have been a US president called Thurman at some oh, stage. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like a president. And, and he reigned name. for two days before drowning in tar <laughs> yeah. or something. You know, he, he said to people, I'm going to sit in this chair on this massive amount of tar until we finally have a socialised healthcare system. <laughs> Poor boy. Drowned. Yeah. Oh, and then, um, they, then they paved it over, and that's now the Thurman Highway. There, yes. Yeah, Thurman yeah. Highway. And which, funnily enough, on his WWF debut, and it was the WWF back then, not WWE, Thurman Sparkplug Holly drove down the Thurman Highway into Madison Square Garden, and it was that's one right, of the most spectacular right. debuts that just didn't kick on. Well, it, it was known among Thurman aficionados as Double Thurman, who knew this would ever happen to mm. it, you know, Magnificent for them. And so he comes in as a NASCAR driver, and bearing in mind that this is the time where all the, all the great characters you remember are either gone or now just hanging on embarrassingly. Like, we're talking Rowdy Roddy Piper, who you might remember as being a great antagonist. He's now the commentator, but he never really mm. does anything. Or Macho Man Randy Savage, who you might remember as a wrestler, is now a commentator. and All of this. <clears throat> and in the middle, you have a bunch of really terrible gimmick wrestlers. Mm. You have uh, Duke the Dumpster Drosy, who is a garbage man. Yep. Mantor. Mantor. Who, who is a fat man with a... Uh, well... What was it? It was a, just a bull. I think he was supposed to be, yeah, half bull. Like, yeah, yeah, he was half, half he's supposed bull. to be a minotaur, but yeah. a mantle. Oh, a mantle. So yeah. the other way around. The <laughs> only thing that could make a minotaur better would be if it was a mantle. A mantle. That's a man-sized minotaur. I had Bastion Boga, and we're not going to describe... I want, what I want you to do is go to Google Images and just just search Bastion B-O-O-G-E-R. Just look at it and just... You can invent whatever story you want for Bastion. Mm. He was, he didn't, he sadly passed away last year, actually. That's Mike Short, yeah. Yeah, Mike Short, that's very unfortunate. His special move, no matter what character he was, mm. was him taking his enormous ass and plonking it on your face. And he was before his time, because Rikishi, when wrestling got popular again, he turned that move into a moneymaker. He absolutely did. You know? He took it, he, he earned his 450000 a year a few years in a row. Well, that's what happens when you sit on somebody's chest and not their face with your enormous anus. Mm-hmm. Mm. But those were the, yeah, the, the late night, and then then wrestling wrestling got picked up a bit in the late nineties. It got a bit popular. We had you know guys like the Rocks, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mick Foley, and way down somewhere near the bottom. Good lord, is that Thurman Sparky Plug redesigned instead as Bob Hardcore Holly? No, no, he's just Bob Holly. Bob Holly. He was in the job squad, remember? Oh, yes, he was Bob Holly. Now, to explain, um, wrestling is an industry where you have all your characters, but like all you, anyone who's listening to this in an office, you've probably got someone in the office who's 
He's not the account manager. He's not in payroll. He's just the per- him or her are the person that they do the little things. They do a bit of an, uh, they do some stuff well, but they don't do it spectacularly. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the utility players of yeah. the world. Here, here is somebody who can't quite do anything in a spectacular fashion, but they have a fine grasp of the basics, yeah. of the essentials, shall we say. And in their mind, they probably, they're the master of it. Absolutely. Only their mind, no That's one right. else. That's right. I mean, to say jack of all trades, master of none is unfair, because a jack gives the idea of fun and vivacity. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, when in reality, this is a very boring person who yeah. is filling their function in life. Uh, what, what, they, what coders call a code monkey. Mm. There you go. Yeah. And yeah, and Bob Holly, Bob. Okay, and the Job Squad was a team designed. It was just all the people who used to lose every match. Yeah. Okay, and well, wrestling's predetermined, folks. So here, spoiler pe- alert. Yeah, just uh, just think of this temporarily. If you want to know what depression is, if you were to get a job in the World Wrestling Federation, fighting in a fake combat league where there are apparently rankings, and there must be because someone's always the number one contender and somebody is always the champion. Imagine if your job was that you were always going to lose. And it was always your job to make the other person look like they were a bit better at fighting than you were. That is the job of the jobbers or the job squad, Mm. as these people became. And in the middle was Bob Holly, freshly devoid of his race car Mm. gimmick and instead given bleached blonde hair. And how much personality, Mark? Oh, look, well, let's just say the job squad was a group of jobbers, but Bob wasn't the spokesperson or the backup spokesperson. The spokesperson was Al Snow. He was the man on the mic. And then I think Too Cold Scorpio might have said an occasional thing, but Bob was just the guy who stood in the background. He he was the guy in the class photos at 20 years when you go to tag him on Facebook. You just can't remember who they were. He's not the man who fixes the photocopier. He's not the man who assists in loading the paper tray to make certain the photocopier is fixed. He is the man in the other office who comes over once the photocopier has been fixed, uses the photocopier, and nobody cares. That's his thing. Drama passes this man by. Mm. And it's a sad story. It is. Because at this time, he was, from what we can tell of his book, a relatively brutal gentleman. Mm. The sort of man who... He, there's a lot of stories in this book, and, and to be fair, there's no point us recapping any of them, because they don't go anywhere. They are the stories of a man who never accomplished anything, until you get to the end of the book, where you learn two things. You learn, one, here's a man who keeps saying, well, this guy made a million dollars, I didn't make a million dollars, and at the end of the book, he tells you how much he was making a year, and it's $175,000, and then one year he makes 400000 Hmm. which would I would say means he has nothing to complain about. He is 50 years old. He ha- the, the book finishes with him saying that he's 50 and has a spectacular metabolism. Yeah. What a great narrative arc. But then again, for wrestling, he's one of the few wrestlers, like, I know that he didn't really achieve much, and he's not, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, let's be honest. But he's 50. He's alive. He's 50. He's, he's alive. actually got enough money that he doesn't need to work. Yes, I like that. So I don't, I don't understand the tone of the majority of the book. It's, he's very bitter, but for no reason. Because, I mean, he got, I think, I think in his career, for the talents and charisma he had, I think he overachieved because he did wrestle for the world title on a pay-per-view, which is a big, big stepping stone. I mean, and he only had to have his neck broken to do it. Oh, yes. I mean, Brock Lesnar, who, if you're a UFC fan, you'll know, but he's also a wrestler as well. 
he, in a match with Bob Holly, something went wrong and Bob landed on his neck and broke his neck and was out for a year. So naturally, Bob had the big comeback fight with Brock. And it was, I think, I think Bob had a good career. I don't think, I think he probably didn't need to write the book. Well, absolutely. I See, until I read the book, I never thought to myself, what an absolute loser is Bob Hardcore Holly. <laughs> I I would think of Hardcore Holly, and I sort of enjoyed him. I, I liked what I saw him yeah. do, and I thought, well, you know, he was called Hardcore Holly. He looked like he hit you very hard indeed. He had the move, the Alabama Slam. Mm. He said, how do you like me now? Not a bad catchphrase. That's not bad. Not his. I mean, it's a piece of common parlance. Mm. Film people say it all the time. You know, how do you like me now? Could have done with a bit of work, but it's still better than Jeff Jarrett's Listen Up Slap Nuts. Slap Nuts. Oh, I forgot about Slap Nuts. Slap Nuts, ladies and gentlemen. And that's a topic for another more frat boy-esque time. I'm sure that I'm sure that I managed Jarrett to get books. all the way through a Red Bull Zero. So now that I've drunk uh, 250 mils of grandmother's perfume, I'll perk up slightly. You, yes, yes. You, you must understand. I had a wonderful time at EB. They they are just great people. They treated me beautifully, and the fact that I did my show, the dark room, and they they allowed this to happen. Six hundred and fifty people oh, one wow. night, five hundred the night before. Superb. Insane. Yeah, just just great time. If you don't know what? The, check out the dark room on, on YouTube. Dark the dark yeah, room. Yeah, John Robertson. I guarantee within half an hour you'll be screaming at the this. Oh, the you'll screen. be you'll be so angry. It's so much fun, but it's also so. My friend of the show, Jimmy James Eaton, and I sat here one night playing the dark room. We're both friends with John, but we cursed him a lot that night, ladies and gentlemen. Something that something that makes me giggle is um, when British critics describe it. They uh, they go, "Oh, it's uh, it's Kafka esque comedy," or, or "What if Franz Kafka did, st- did stand up?" And I think that's great because I've never read Kafka, no. and I just get the great sense of, "Oh, good, it's it's depressing and monotonous, <laughs> but it's funny." Hooray! I've cracked it, friends. That's why you'll know you were never anything. And that's why Franz Kafka will always be the hardcore Holly to Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut, the Hulk Hogan of the alternative literary world. And Kafka's the hardcore Holly. Absolutely. And Hunter S. Thompson is the Jake the Snake Roberts. Anywho, for, for all of that, okay. Here's a book. All right. A lot of re- I've read thanks to thanks to the beautiful Mark Williamson. I've read an awful lot of wrestlers' autobiographies. They are one of the most fascinating literary exercises you can ever participate in, mm. because what they are is the sound of a pain-addled, usually drug-fueled, uh, concussion-ridden misery guts. Yeah, telling you exactly why they absolutely loved the profession that they were part of how after being beaten repeatedly by older men that they didn't know <laughs> and i mean and i don't mean in terms of like a storyline beaten but having been physically abused by their workmates the workmates who were more senior than them they grew up with a great sense of tradition in the sport, sport they use the word sport a lot mm. in the sport in which they in which they played and then getting very angry at anyone who broke the rules, and then the book ends usually in decay and despair and the death of their friends. Yeah. That's usually it. With the exception of Mick Foldy's books, almost all of which are just jolly, happy, fun And times. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho's too. I'd, both him and Foley, I'd recommend. Not he, Chris Jericho's first book, I'd highly recommend. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're two men, of yeah. course, who... Well, they're two men who saved their money. Had fun. Sure, Mick's beaten up, and you've met the man, the great man. He's a he's, wonderful person. Yeah, he's. I've met him, but not to the extent you have. And yeah, yeah he's. But he's. He's in a bit of pain. Yeah, absolutely. He, but not financially. Like no, no, no. My God, very, very comfortable financially, physically in in a great deal of pain. Real, real back hmm. injuries. But w- wonderful man. He um, 
He remains the only man I've ever known to sing at me and then seconds later call me a son of a bitch. And it was great both times. You, have I told you the story? Of you ha- you ha- you've told me, but not... not okay. I, we went, we, we, thanks to the magical comedian Brendan Burns, uh, who... He's I, I, also been on the podcast. Check yeah. out past episodes. Have a listen. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing uh, one of his T-shirts, actually. Uh, one of I the, thought that looks Yeah, familiar. one of his Brendan Burns, I've never heard of him either, T-shirts. <laughs> and that show is going to be touring for the next two years. So you get into that, kids. What happened was uh, Brendan invites us for dinner to a restaurant. Hmm. And it's me and my wife, Jo. Um, everyone's all, all around. And, and comedian Stephen K. Amos is there. And it's a great, great smorgasbord mm. of really excellent comedians. And um, a lot of silences are happening in a conversation, you know, ma- made up of people who are very good at talking. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. They're good at asking you how you are. They're very good at talking about themselves. They're, and the, these guys are genuinely nice people. Yeah, so absolutely. Spectacular conversations. And a couple of times, everyone goes a bit quiet, and we're all looking up the stairs, and I realize that it's a group of men and women quietly willing into existence their imaginary friend, Mick Foley. (laughs) And when he comes down the stairs, we all cheer, and my God, he's the size of two men, and he's he's wearing the red flannel he always used to wear, and he looks like a big teddy bear and all this, and he comes and he sits down, and he sits down next to my wife, Jo. He sits next to Jo and next to our friend, Sean, right? Both beautiful women. And he, he sits between them. And we're talking and Mick tells wonderful stories. And mm. and I I decided at one point that I wanted my hero's attention. And so I went, your match has got me laid. And he uh, he did a double take. He went, they, they didn't even get me laid. <laughs> and that was great. And we had a big chat. And he was genuinely like, really? Wow. He, you know, he seemed very confused yet pleased by this information. And then Stephen K. Amos, uh, who was with, with his sister and um, a friend of his, got up and, and they left. They, you know, they had to say goodnight. They had yeah. a show in the morning. And so off they went and I was left down that end of the table on my own. And Mick Foley, during a gap in conversation, turns to me and he's all shaggy and he's missing teeth and he's a man mountain. You know, he looks like if he shook his head, bits of snow had fallen. You know? <laughs> and he turns to me and goes, all by myself. <laughs> Don't want to be oh, but And so I move across from him mm. and I start talking to the woman who's next to me because he's talking to Joe. And then I hear this sound. Hey, you son of a bitch! And I turn around and this enormous wrestler is leaning across the table waving his finger in my face. And I, I go, what? And he goes, yeah, I thought you were alone. Your lady love sitting next to me. I went, oh, yeah. And then I went, yeah, I told you that before. Don't you remember? He went, no, concussions. <laughs> He's he's just magical. He is. He, he made is. my day. And when I when I saw him the next time in Perth, um, I walked through a door backstage, and he goes, "Oh, you're here. Oh, I didn't want to ask Joe. I thought maybe you two had split up." <laughs> it was great. Then we sat out and had pizza. Oh, nice. Really nice guy. Funnily enough, when I met him in at the Enmore Theatre after the show, yeah, we had pizza too. He likes pizza. I think I think he likes pizza. I like pizza. Well, we don't like pizza. Brendan Burns picked one of the greatest pizza places I've ever been to. It was mm. great. We're about what, what? It was in Perth. I'm Perth? He was in Perth and I forget the name. So this information is, uh, first it's of use only to a very small amount of people who are very far away from where you are. That's and true. now even I can't tell them where it is. Or I what. think what, what, what we're trying to say is if you ever see Brendan Burns, just go, mate. Oh, pizza, Perth. Where's the pizza place he took what, Pol- Foley yeah. to in Perth? 
Yeah. But Spot yeah, on. Lovely place. Spot on. Well, John, we could talk wrestling all night, and we probably will, but we've got to wrap up the podcast. Oh, Jesus. We've so, accomplished nothing. We've done, no, we've, yeah, we've, we got through, we talked, we, we may, we, there may be time for it. John, you, we'll come back for another episode. Yeah. So yeah. just for, you're globe trotting around, obviously the day, what's the website? At, uh, oh, it's, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got the a Twitter is, reference. No, yeah. no worries. The website is www.thejohnrobertson.com. Uh, the Twitter is at Robotron. The Facebook is John Robertson Comedy. You can hear this voice on uh, various Lotto commercials. Actually, that's, that's not true anymore. That uh, that dried up. Yeah, you, know, you want to hear an embarrassing thing? Yeah. A couple of years ago, I flew out to Melbourne, and for I think something like thirty-six months, I was the voice of the Oz Lotto commercials in Australia. And so I, I'd be there going, the Oz Lotto jackpot has now reached ten million dollars. You know all this, all this stuff. And I went to Melbourne and uh, went to a news agency with my friend Tom. I've known Tom since I was a boy. And uh, I bought a lotto ticket. And Tom goes, oh, go on, do the, do the voice, do the voice. And says to the cashier, oh, oh, John, John's the voice of the lotto. John's the voice of the lotto. And she goes, are you? And I go, the Oz Lotto jackpot has now. Re-. And she went, yeah, we don't have Oz Lotto here. <laughs> yeah, it's Tats Lotto. It's slightly humiliating. Oh. oh. And I should tell you something just while we're here, because I haven't told you this yet. Oh. So, um, in Edinburgh, Brendan Burns, magical man, mm. brought over the independent wrestler Colt Cabana mm. to do a show. Now, Colt and he, they're commentating bad wrestling matches, and they had me as a guest mm. several nights in a row. And, well, not in a row, but uh, it's in a row if you remove yeah. all the other days yeah, in yeah, between. Yeah. And uh, what happened is Colt started just pausing the matches, and if he saw a woman in the crowd, he'd go, look at that slut. They're just having fun. Look at that slut. Didn't matter what he was pointing at. Mm. Look at that slut. And the final video that he showed was him doing a promo. And then at the end, his mother came in. She's an old little Jewish lady from <laughs> Chicago, and he paused the video, and they're about to say goodnight. And I leaned forward and tapped the screen. I went, look at that slut. And Colt, a very big man, he stood up. And he looked, you know, a bit, a bit, shall we say, play offended. And I, you know, everyone's sort of going, hit him, hit him, hit him. And I took off my shirt and he, Colt gave me an enormous Ric Flair slap. Oh, wow. Yeah, enormous chop across the chest. Now, Colt Cabana's handspan somehow covered my chest, which is a fairly broad number. And that's a fair you know, hand slap. Pow. Three weeks go by and it's the end of Edinburgh. And it's time for the final Colt Cabana Brendan Burns show. And they bring in, you know, a lot of their friends. And I come in. And I had a great time because I, I didn't realize how low the ceiling was in the room. <laughs> and I've come out and I've got um, this mineral water. So I come out and I put the mineral water in my mouth and I spit it up in the air because I'm doing Triple H's opening. And it hits the roof and all this water just crashes on the front row. And so I'm doing that and the whole crowd chanting, you fucked up, you fucked up with <laughs> Having a great time, you know, uh, and I'm like, I still liked it, you know, oh, I'm being a heel wrestler, all this. And um, as, as we're doing it, I just, I thought I'd take my life in my hands. And I, uh, yeah, I just, um, just in the middle of conversation <laughs> where Colt's going, oh yeah, look at that there, you know, we were making fun of Brendan for a minute because mm-hmm. all this stuff. And eventually I went, hey, Colt, remember when I called your mum a slut? And he, he jumped up again. <laughs> and, and I thought, Oh, I've accidentally done. I, oh, it's going to happen again. I, I wanted to sort of further the narrative. I wanted him to challenge me to a steel cage match or something. But I got up and I ripped off my shirt. And uh, you got to hand it to Colt Cabana. 
he uh, made it a little harder this time. Ooh. And uh, yeah, it, it was magnificent. And my God, in the video of it, fuck, I fall down. I hit the front row. They, three men prop me back up as I go. And it's magnificent because the thing about it makes an enormous slap, hurts a great deal, right? I shake him by the hand, crowd applauds wildly. I stagger off half naked into the crowd. There's enormous blistering red welt across my chest. I then went outside into the snow and rain of Edinburgh. I've never felt warmer in my <laughs> entire life. And what was great, I put my shirt back on. There's a great gay Glaswegian comic called Scott Agnew. Scott's six foot five. Scott comes over and goes, oh, John, how would you go? Puts his hand lovingly on my chest. I scream like a little girl. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you wrestlers are just faggots and walks off. <laughs> I love Scott. I, th- I think that I think that might be a title of your book there. If you oh, you write, when you when you write your 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 hardcore truth book, yeah, I, I don't think that that's. Uh, th- and here, here's something as well, just while we're here, maybe to give the listeners something life affirming to go away on. Um, one of the great problems with the hardcore truth is that the book is written in the following manner. Well, I was I was doing this great thing, and then the boss told me to stop, <laughs> and so I did. What choice did I have? And that's why, exactly why he never got anywhere in his career. What choice did I have? Always call the big man's mum a slut and see what you get. Because so help me God, when I got to my (laughs) bloody Facebook page the next day, I had a few very excited Scotsmen who were very pleased to know that they had finally found a comic who could take a punch. So there we go. There you go. Well, John, thanks for joining me at AirJHQ. Make sure to follow and check out the website. Check out the darkroom. And it is a lot of fun. It's, it it's, is a lot of fun. It's been a delightful, delightful pleasure. And um, and when I go in to get these various broken ribs taped, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. No, thank you, John. Uh, for more mark. information, check out ComedyOnEdge.com. Follow us on Twitter at ComedyOnEdge. And follow me on Twitter at M underscore W underscore OH. Thanks, guys, for listening. If you're listening on iTunes, give us a star rating. It helps a lot and it costs you nothing because we love putting this show together, but we wouldn't mind a bit more recognition from iTunes. Anyway, that's enough hey, of That's enough mind. from me. Look, yeah. some boats. Some boats. Yeah, I think now would be a good time to like dub on the sound of gunfire. <laughs> yeah, Tony, Tony Abbott's found us, ladies and gentlemen. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. That does it for us this week. See Have a great week. And... Uh, Josh, oh no, Josh isn't here. It'll just be me. I better hit the music. Thank you.